more time. Um, just real quickly, I wanted to take a minute. I, I doubt for many of you, uh, Jeff Walling needs any introduction. However, for the few of you that might not know who he is, uh, he is the director of youth leadership, the youth leadership initiative at Pepperdine University. So if you have kids that are interested in going to college, somebody you should talk to. Um, I don't, how many of you, raise your hand if you have ever been to the Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop. Anybody in the room? All right, so, you know, a portion of you. Uh, it's, a, it's a big gathering of Acapella Churches of Christ. They all get together in Tulsa. I guess it's central, but, uh, and there's all this singing and this teaching, and it's just, it's a wonderful event. It was a wonderful event, um, and it, you're just, like, surrounded by all this, you know, great singing. Keith Lancaster, you know who that is, leads... Um, and so I remember hearing Jeff uh, speak there, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is very cool, excellent, you know, did a wonderful job. Now, I come from, you may not know this, but I come from a little strand of Restoration Movement churches that doesn't come from an a cappella background. And so I had also attended a, an event called Nationwide Youth Roundup. Now, let's see, hands, anybody, Nationwide Youth Roundup? All right, a few, yeah, a few uh, less. And I remember going to Nationwide one year, and Jeff was speaking at Nationwide, you know, have you ever been in a grocery store and you know you see somebody, but they're out of context? And you're like, how do I, where, where did I see, how is this person here? How are they in both worlds? And so Jeff was speaking at Nationwide. If you can just imagine a big open field, about 2,000 lawn chairs, uh, singing, praising. It's it just a wonderful time. And Jeff was speaking there as well. And it's just such an interesting, like, kind of meeting uh, of worlds. And, and some of that just goes to show you what a great communicator uh, he is. But I will say one of the things that I have appreciated most about him is when he has been able to uh, bless us with uh, about four or five years ago uh, coming and speaking for us and then this last weekend with the marriage conference, always just spending some time over dinner uh, and just hearing some great advice uh, over pasta. That's been the thing for me that's been so, uh, so valuable. So we're really excited to have Jeff here. If you have a phone, you uh, make sure the volume's off, but... Um, before you do, go to Instagram and go to Preacher Walling and like that picture that he posted this morning of our church so we get a little uh, notoriety, a little fame. Make sure you do that. Follow him on there as well. And if you have questions about Pepperdine, make sure you talk to him a little bit afterwards. But let's give a big warm welcome to uh, Jeff Walling. Jeff? Thank you, Patrick. It is, a, uh, it is a treat for Catherine and I to be here. If you, like us, are guests here, and this isn't your regular church home, let me let you know you have come to a wonderful place. Uh, this is a family that loves one another and loves the Lord. Uh, maybe if you've just moved to this area, you're just experiencing some things like cheese curds and other <laughs> things you cannot get in Malibu anywhere. Uh, and not only that, we found out today that while we celebrated in March, it appears that in September you celebrate St. Patrick's Day. So we're, uh, we're, we're glad to be able to, uh, to wish a happy birthday to, to Patrick and to, uh, and to celebrate this with, uh, with this family. Uh, it's always fun for me when I'm able to travel. Uh, are we? Am I? I'm getting, I'm getting the, the news from my wife. It's rare she would say, I can't hear you. So um, <laughs> it's always a blessing to get a chance to travel with my wife, which I was just in the, uh, in the moment of saying. And for those of you who got to, uh, to be at the marriage seminar, thank you for sharing with us uh, in that. 
But today, I, um, I thought a lot about what would be the proper way uh, both to uh, say thank you as well as to spend some time in God's Word. And I was reminded of one of my mom's favorite chapters of the Bible. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open up to the book of Hebrews to chapter 11. As you're doing that, I'll also give you an invitation. Pepperdine University is in Malibu, California. It is uh, quite a ways from here in some ways, but it's a short plane ride, as my wife and I found out. We would love to extend an invitation to you to come and visit us at Pepperdine. During the month of May, during the first few days, this next year, May 5 through 8, we'll host uh, a little gathering ourselves. It's kind of a version of the Tulsa workshop, only it takes place in Malibu, California. Uh, Malibu is a lot like Tulsa with a beach. So we would, uh, we'd love to invite you to come and join with us. There's singing, there's speaking, there's lots of great fellowship, and there's certainly a beautiful place there on the Pepperdine campus to enjoy that. This next year, the focus of our uh, seminar is going to be the church, God's wonderful creation of his church. There will be 2,000 to 3,000 folks from all over the country who will be there. There is a special program for teenagers, I would want to underline, as well as programs for uh, ministers, programs in Spanish, programs for those who are interested in campus ministry. And so let me invite you, if you can, to come join us that week. I told the group yesterday that we empty out our dorms and we offer four nights with an ocean view room for $200, 225 actually total. So that's all four nights for 225 bucks. You can't get that at Motel 6. So let's, uh, let us encourage you to come in uh, and visit us. So Hebrews chapter 11 was one of my mom's favorite chapters, I think in part, because of the many Bible stories, even as the brother who helped us with this, the, our thoughts before the Lord's Supper this morning reminded us of some great Old Testament heroes and the both good things and bad things that they did. This chapter, though, came to mean something different for me when my middle son, Riley, who graduated with a degree in electronic media production, doesn't that sound impressive? Uh, it's basically uh, video gaming, only you do it with, uh, with video. So he's a video editor is what he is. If any of you have seen any YouTube channel called People Are Awesome, uh, he's actually the chief editor for that channel, as well as a channel called Fail Army, which seemed to be on two ends of the spectrum. So if you've enjoyed that channel, you may have seen some of my son's work. But uh, a year or so back, uh, we were talking and he said, man, I can't believe it. Rick got the job I wanted. He got my dream job. I said, I thought you're enjoying what you're doing right now. He said, well, I do, but man, Rick, Rick is going to do sizzle reels for Fox Sports. And I said, what's a sizzle reel? Maybe all of you know what a sizzle reel is. I didn't. He said, Dad, you've seen sizzle reels a ton. If you've watched an NBA game, you know, like you get right to the end of a period of play, they're about to go to a commercial, and some music plays, and they do reviews of maybe the best shots or the most exciting thing, or when the coach got really mad. That's called a sizzle reel. I said, well, that's, that's cool. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You get to sit in the camera truck, and you watch the game. And you pull down digitally, as you're watching it, the coolest moments, because you can't decide what to go and put in the sizzle reel until eight seconds before it goes on TV. 
because they want to make sure if there's something in those last few seconds that they can have you repeat it. So there's a cue that goes sizzle eight and the lady or guy who's sitting there knows they've got eight seconds to say, all right, let's use this one, this one, in this order. We'll use this music. We'll hit render, CG, and three, two, one, and it goes out on national television. He said, doesn't that sound like a dream? I said, that sounds like a stomachache to me. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you got eight seconds to make it happen on national TV. That's crazy. He said, oh man, I would love to do that because you feel like you're taking time and compressing it. And that's when it hit me. That's exactly what Hebrews 11 is. Hebrews 11 is God's sizzle reel of his great heroes. He takes it and just, just pulls together their three-point shot. You, you see what I mean. For instance, Noah, who I think has already popped up on the screen there. Let's read it together. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, can you read these words? All right, now that's taking about six chapters of a story and bringing it down to one sentence. It's the ultimate Reader's Digest version, right? And each of these stories have this same phrase, by faith. Because the Hebrew writer says if you look at each snapshot, you're going to get to see a picture of faith distilled. He begins with these words, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Now that's not going to be up here on the screen, but I'm going to ask you to see if you can memorize this with me this morning. Now faith is, everybody say confidence. Yeah, but you actually should say it like you are confident, so let's try it one more time. Now faith is in what we, everybody say, hope for. And assurance, try assurance, assurance of what we do not see. Here we go. You ready? Now, faith is confidence in what we, and it is assurance in what we do not see. Great. Each one of these stories encapsulates that same idea. Noah had never seen rain. We opened the curtains at the hotel this morning, and my wife said, oh my goodness, it's raining. I said, how do you think they get 10,000 lakes, right? I mean, they have to get the water somewhere. She said, well, I just didn't expect it. I mean, it's just yesterday was so pretty. It was a beautiful weekend, wasn't it? And then all of a sudden this morning, there's rain. Can you imagine never having seen rain in your life? And then God says, I want you to build a boat in the middle of a desert. No rivers, no streams, and I want you to build a big boat. The neighbors surely started coming by and saying, man, are you building a condo? What are, you, what are you putting up back there? He said, no, it's a giant boat. Do you know how far we are from the ocean? Yeah, but God says water's going to fall out of the sky. Water's going to come from the streams, and the whole world is going to flood. You talk about assurance in what you cannot See, see, that's what faith is, the Hebrew writer says. All that in just one sentence. Abraham's life. There are more than 13 chapters about Abraham, but Abraham's life here is encapsulated in just two or three sentences. Let's try this one together. Let's read it out loud. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would... ...obeyed and went, even though he... Yeah, that last phrase is like a lot of us on the freeway, isn't it? We do not know where we are going. And yet, be, though he could not see where he was heading, this promised land that God had promised to Abraham, 
Abraham is willing to leave his people, his home. I heard some announcements this morning about people moving here. Can you imagine moving and someone said, well, you guys are moving. Where are you moving to? Have no idea. What do you mean? You're packing up your belongings. You're heading out. Yep, don't know where we're... Abraham did not know where he was going. I don't know about you, but if somebody says to me, hey, Jeff, get in the car. We'll go for a ride. And I say, where are we going? And they say, I'm not telling you. I've seen too many gangster movies. That's not a good thing, right? Don't worry about it. Just get in the car, right? You're not going to see that character in the next scene of the film. And so here is Abraham with God saying, come, let me take you to a land I will show you. In the same way, when Jesus called people to follow him, he often just said, follow me. God doesn't give maps. Can I get an oh yeah from you on that? If God had give, given some of us a map of our lives, we'd have said, no, thank you. I, I, I don't want to take that trip. I didn't plan to have all of this going on in my life. But instead, God says, trust me, Abraham. Follow me. And the Bible says that it's worthy of a three-point shot note here to say, Abraham, though he did not know where he was going, saddled up his donkey, packed up his goods, took his family, and simply said, okay, God, let's go. Now, for a control freak like me, that is a stomach ache moment. But we realize you can't be a Christian without being willing to do that. Without being willing to say, okay, Lord, I don't know exactly where you're going to lead me. I don't know exactly how we're going to get there. And I certainly haven't seen the ultimate end, although I believe in it. Trust me, Jesus says. And in faith, we say, yes, Lord. And that's what leads us to be baptized into Christ. That's what leads us to follow him. And every day from there on. Now I'm going to ask uh, the one running the PowerPoint to not change the slide until I tell you. Because my mom's favorite Bible character is included in Hebrews 11. But I'm going to ask you, and, and Patrick has probably never said this before here, I hope I don't offend you, but I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bible, to close it. If you have your phone, to turn it upside down so you're not peeking. I've read through Hebrews several times, but had never actually paused to say, wait a minute, how in the world did the Hebrew writer get down to one verse the entire life of my mom's favorite Bible character? Mom's gone on to be with the Lord, but boy, she taught me so much about the Bible. And her favorite Bible character was the 11th son of Abraham's grandson. You have to think that through now. There was Abraham who had a son named Isaac. Okay, our VBS graduates are coming out here. Abraham and Isaac and then came Jacob. That's right. Remember he, had a, he was a twin? Jacob and Esau, the first twins read about in the Bible. And Jacob had... 12 sons. And those 12 sons came to be known as the 12 right, exactly, the patriarchs, the 12 tribes of Jacob. And I know from Patrick's good teaching here that you all would know their names. So let's just say them together. Here we go. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and who comes next? Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was my mom's favorite Bible character. If my mom was called on at the last minute to teach the second grade class because, you know, Sister Anthem got sick and isn't there, can you step in? Mildred Walling would be there with her flannel graph 
I'll explain that to you guys later. It's a tool. <laughs> would be there with her flannel graph to teach the story. How many, how many remember a flannel graph? Can you raise? Oh, wow. We, okay. We just separated the wrinkle from the non. All right. Well, then all of us who remember, remember a teacher. And a flannel graph, guys, was this um, piece of flannel uh, that you'd have little, little cutouts of felt and they would stick it on it. It's like early PowerPoint. It's kind of caveman PowerPoint that you'd, you'd kind of set up and, and, and show the kids, right? And my mom had this amazing set of Joseph flannel graph. It took up nearly an entire shoebox because there were so many parts to the story. And in Jacob's flannel, or Joseph's flannel graph, rather, first you had to have Joseph with all of his brothers. And in the flannel graph, the, the characters always looked angry at Joseph. You remember that? The characters always looked angry at Joseph. The reason? What was the reason? Because daddy loved Joseph, and they were jealous. Not only that, but Joseph, since he was a little kid, it seems, had dreams, the Bible tells us, of being Number one. Now, I have to say, if I've got ten older brothers, I don't know if I would tell them about my dreams of being number one. I mean, think about coming to breakfast one morning and, and Jacob, Joseph saying, hey guys, I had a dream last night. I dreamed you were all stars in the sky. Well, his brothers would say, yeah, that's right, we are stars, yeah. And daddy was the sun and mama was the moon. And I was a star, too. And then the weirdest thing happened, guys. The sun and the moon and all your stars bowed down to my star. That's asking for a beatdown, isn't it, right? That's just begging for a fat lip. Yay, I'm number one. And then dad makes it worse by one day carrying a box out. Now, these are farmers, right? They're out in the field working, and Dad carries out this, I just imagine him carrying out this beautiful package. And the oldest son says, oh, look, it's a gift for me, right? But he passes Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and Issachar and Zebulun. Benjamin's thinking, yeah, he's doing it for me. But he stops before Benjamin, and he says, my son Joseph, this is a special gift from me to you. Now, all the other brothers are throwing up at this point, but when Joseph opens it up and says, Dad, it's gorgeous. And Dad says, put it on. Anybody remember what he put on? The coat of many colors. Now, you're going to have to think back to a time before Target, okay? To a time when clothes were not readily available like we have them, and a beautiful multicolored coat. It's also described as a long coat, which means that it was a fancy coat. It would literally learn this from one of the, the, the Hebrew scholars at Pepperdine. The coat would literally come down, that style of coat, to cover, if not meet, the tips of your fingers. You say, why is that significant? Well, think about it. If you give a farm boy a coat that basically covers his hands, what does that indicate? Uh, yeah, you're not expected to work. Even we have that line, you know, I'm going to have to roll, what? Roll up my sleeves, right? I have to roll up my sleeves, get in and get this done. Well, here he's given this fancy, it's like giving a tux to a farm boy. You're not going to drive the tractor in that, right? So all the brothers are now sick of Joseph. And you remember what they do? 
They get so angry with him, they try and kill him. They grab him and throw him in a well. And he doesn't die, and they're saying, well, let's just throw rocks on him and kill him. And others say, no, 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 he's our brother. We can't do that. And while they're arguing over it, some Ishmaelite traders come by. Joseph is a teenager at that point. How many teenagers, if you're willing to admit it, how many teenagers do we have here by raise of hands? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and raise them up. Nothing to be ashamed about. You'll grow out of it. Okay, all right, good deal. All right, so imagine, thank you over here too. So imagine you are grabbed up by your brothers, are sold into slavery, and the last thing they do is they rip the coat off your back because they want to dip it in some goat's blood and take it back to dad and say, oh, dad, a terrible thing happened. Our brother Joseph was killed. They break their father's heart while Joseph is in shackles or in ropes, strapped behind a camel and heading to a land where he doesn't speak the language, doesn't know the people, and is completely ripped out of his family and country. Oh, by the way, you have one sentence to summarize that. One verse. And, and we're not done yet. Because when he gets there to Egypt, do you remember who buys him? Come on, help me, Bible scholars. Who buys him? Potiphar, who was the head of the prison. Actually, the text in indicates that his language for his title that he was the head executioner. So he runs the supermax in Egypt. And he says, all right, I buy you, slave, and I want you to clean. Can you see him now cleaning the floors of a prison? You don't speak the language. You don't know the customs. You probably don't like the food. And all I'd be thinking about is, God, why did you do this? Why did you do this? But Joseph trusts God. The Bible says the Lord was with him. And so instead of things going terrible, things go wonderful for him in Egypt. Potiphar says, man, you are so great. I'm going to make you manager of the prison. And soon the Bible says that he put Joseph over everything. I mean, what a roller coaster ride. Man, I got these dreams and dad loves me. My brothers hate me. They sell me into slavery. But now I'm here in Egypt and now I'm in charge of the prison. Oh, wait, there's another loop on the roller coaster, isn't there? Because he's in charge of the prison, he's in charge of everything when a woman notices him. And that woman is Potiphar's wife. Here's what the scripture says. That Potiphar's wife took notice that Joseph was handsome and well-built. Now I know many of the men in this church know the burden of being handsome and well-built. You guys know what it's like to walk through the mall and have heads snap as you walk by and say, Woo, who is that guy? But imagine you're a teenage boy and you're far from home and a beautiful woman of power comes on to you. Hey, good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking something? I mean, you know where this is going, right? And what does Joseph do? Joseph stiff arms her. It's stunning to me. Joseph stiff arms her and says, ma'am, no way. How could I possibly insult your husband in that way? How could I possibly insult God in that way? Why, your husband has trusted me with everything. No way. And at one point, the Bible says she does not give up. And finally, she grabs him by the coat and says, come to bed with me. Can I ask all the guys here to remember being 18 or 19 years old? If a woman grabs you and says, I think you're awesome, come to bed, at what point would you go, well, God, she's got my coat. I just, I can't stop. I mean, you know, at what point would you say, I'm sorry, but not Joseph. Joseph sets an amazing,
amazing example, by the way, for all you young people. Joseph sets a stunning example here when he doesn't let her drag him, but what does he do? He runs out of the house leaving the coat in her hands. Sometimes the best thing to do from sin is just run. Can I get a oh yeah? That's exactly what, that's exactly what Joseph does. The problem is, that coat is still in the woman's hand at the end of the day when her husband comes through the door. And she says, well, look what your servant tried to do to me today. Your slave tried to rape me. And of course, that husband reacts as most husbands would. He grabs Joseph and doesn't put him back down in, into simply slavery. He throws him into prison on death row. He's put in with two other prisoners, both of whom are accused of capital crimes. Have you ever done something right and got in trouble because you did the right thing? Have you ever told the truth and end up on the wrong end of the stick because you did what was right? Have you ever said no when everybody said, come on and do this, do this, and you know it's wrong and you say no and you end up being mocked and made fun of because of it? Joseph understands that. Because now he's sitting in the same cells that he was cleaning, only now he's locked in. Oh, by the way, you have one verse. One sentence, please, to encapsulate all of that. And we're not done yet, are we? Because in the cell with him is a baker and a cupbearer who used to work for a guy named Pharaoh, the head of the land. They were in the White House of Egypt's day, and now they're accused of being untrustworthy. And they both say, oh man, listen, we've had these crazy dreams. And Joseph is, don't talk to me about dreams, man. Dreams have messed my life up. Oh, you know about dreams? Tell us, interpret our dreams. One of them tells him his dream, the other tells him his dream. And Joseph says, okay, okay, I, my God can interpret these, I'll tell you. He turns to the cupbearer and says, you're going to be back butlering for the king. In two weeks, you'll be back in the palace. Woohoo! And he turns to the baker and says, in two weeks, you'll be dead. And sure enough, he is. He's hung, and this guy is returned to the king. And as he goes, Joseph says, remember me to your master. You know, like, hey, hey, get me out of here. And the guy goes, I will. And he doesn't. He walks away, and it's months of, this is what I get, God? You ever been forgotten? Have you had the people that should have loved you turn their back on you? Have you done something good for somebody and they never even said thank you? Joseph knows what that feels like. But God had a plan. It's another loop in his roller coaster. Who's the next one to have a crazy dream in the story in Genesis. Do you remember who it is? It's Pharaoh. It's Pharaoh. And here is the cupbearer giving him his morning cup when Pharaoh's like, oh man, I just, I got a headache. What's wrong, sir? I had the weirdest dream last night. I dreamed that seven fat cows came up out of the Nile. And right behind them, seven skinny cows came up out of the Nile. And the skinny cows ate the fat cows. But they didn't gain any weight. Leon, that's a diet I've been looking for, by the way. All the beef you want, don't gain any weight. He says, what a strange dream, sir. What do you think it means? And Pharaoh says, I have no idea. I had the same kind of dream about ears of corn. He says, I wish I had somebody who could interpret these dreams. And at that moment, 
The cupbearer goes, wait, dreams? I know a guy. Where is he? He's in the prison. Well, get him up here. And in an instant, Joseph goes from being a prisoner to getting cleaned up, dressed up, and standing before Pharaoh and having the most powerful man in the land say, I understand you do dreams. Well, actually, not me. My God does, right? And Pharaoh says, well, tell me about this dream. And Joseph listens to the dream and says, oh, sir, I don't think you want to know. Because those seven fat cows, they represent seven really great years of harvest. But those seven skinny cows, they represent a time of famine, sir. And during the time of famine, your country will eat all of the grain produced during the seven good years and then run out and starve. I'm sorry, your country's going to die. And Pharaoh says, no way, that's amazing. How in the world could you do this? You're brilliant. And Joseph says, well, it's not really me. And the Pharaoh says, no way. And Joseph says, Yahweh. And <laughs> take your time, I couldn't resist. You'll tell that later, I know, that's okay. He says, you know what I want you to do? I don't want you just to interpret dreams. I want you to be in charge of agriculture. I want you to make sure that we save enough grain during those seven years to take care of our country. And he becomes the vice president of Egypt, basically. The Bible says once again that Pharaoh put him in charge of everything. What a story. And you have one sentence. We got to hurry up and wrap this up. And we have a little more to go, don't we? Because he's standing there with all of this power and all of this blessing while back at the ranch... There are 11 brothers who are starving. And one of them says, you know, I heard there's a guy up in Egypt with grain. Why don't we go up there? Okay, dad lets them go. And in come the brothers. See this scene. The 10 brothers come walking in. And who's standing there as the guy they're going to beg from? It's Joseph. Only he's an Egyptian now. So they don't recognize him. It's a key part of the story. Because they walk in, they don't know who he is. And what do they do? Bow down. Just like the dream. Now tell me, if you are Joseph, and you, because you recognize them, right? They're still wearing their same VBS costumes. And so, you know, they, 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 they come in and, and they bow down and you go, oh my word, it's my brothers. It's been 10 years, but I know them. It's my brothers. What is going through your mind? How about, oh, dude. I am going to, because these are the guys who messed up your life. These are the guys who ripped you out of your home. So all you have to do is say, excuse me, guards, kill them. They're spies. Take them out and flog them. Throw them in prison. But Joseph doesn't do any of that. This is stunning to me. Instead, oh, he yanks their chain a little bit with a golden cup to get Benjamin up there. But ultimately, he says, guys, it's okay. He reveals himself. People say, why, why didn't they recognize him? Think about it. He's in a totally different culture, so he probably spoke Egyptian. He, you know, he, he wore the, 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 the costumes and the makeup of the Egyptian, right? Basically, he talked like an Egyptian and walked like an Egyptian. I mean, you know, you know the story. And so when he finally reveals himself, his brothers freak out. Oh, no. And he said, no, no, no. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. He saves all of their lives. By the way, saving you. You realize that, right? You say, how did he save me? Well, his oldest brother's name was Reuben, and then Simeon, and then Levi, and then a brother named, and who was Judah? 
Judah was the great, 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 or so grandfather of Jesus Christ. So here Joseph, in the right place at the right time by God's will, saves the world. In the story, his father moves up, they all live up there until Joseph dies of old age. And you have one verse. I will confess that I had forgotten what the one verse said. I mean, it's got to have the dreams, right, in it. Don't you figure? If you put it in, it's got to have the three-point shot of saving Egypt, right? Wrong. This is what the Hebrew writer decided was the one verse. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Who was in the truck when that was picked? That's what I want to know. I mean, I'm serious. Read it with me. Maybe that'll help. By faith, Joseph, when his spoke about the and gave doesn't it want to make you shout hallelujah? I mean, isn't that just inspired? No. Somebody says, I don't get it, preacher. Quick, tell us what it is. All right, I'm going to give this to you and the lesson's done. Here's what it is. I had to go back to the book of Genesis to find out even what that's talking about. It's the very last chapter of the very last paragraph. In fact, the last part of the book of Genesis. And it's the end of uh, Joseph's story. And here's what it says. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family and lived to be 110 years old. 110 years old. It says that he bounced his great-great-grandchild on his knee. But then it says this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. Well, I mean, he's 110, so he said, I'm about to die. But, but God will surely come to your aid. Everybody say surely. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made them, the Israelites, swear on oath and said, God will come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And he died at the age of 110, was buried. No, he was put in a coffin there in Egypt. End of Genesis. You're not getting it? I didn't either. I had to read it like five times. Joseph was brilliant. Here it is. You're 110. You know you're about to die. And you look around and realize, oh no, all these people have forgotten the promise. The promise that God made to my great-great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my father. The promise that this isn't home. The promise that we're going somewhere. There's a home prepared where the saints abide. And every year that they lived there and nothing happened, people were forgetting. I mean, come on, don't you think? Don't you think the second and third generation, when Joseph would start in on his birthday, you know, they'd sing happy birthday, Joseph, and he'd say, well, now remember... We're going to the promise. Don't the kids say, oh, no, he's starting the promised land speech again, man. If great-grandpa does that promised land speech one more time, I'm going to puke. It's just like, grandpa, give it up. We're Egyptians. This is our home. My mom was born here. My mom's mom was born here. There's no promised land. God forgot us. It's okay, grandpa. Let it go. Joseph says, no, God will, say the word, surely. Now, 
The problem is he's about to die. Nobody's going to be around to remind him anymore. What do you do? Here's his three-point shot. He says, make me a prank. Come here, pinky swear with me. Don't bury me. I can see him pulling one of the great grandkids up, right? Teenager and saying, look, now listen to me. When I die, don't let them put me in the ground. Well, why, Grandpa? Because you're going to the promised land and I want to go. Do you have like a, a rollerboard or a, like a backpack? Yeah, I got a backpack. Great. When I die, let, my bone, let everything rot and then take my bones and put them in your backpack. <laughs> Grandpa, that's weird. Why would I do that? Well, because we're going to the promised land. Grandpa, what if somebody asks me, hey, what's in your backpack? Well, you tell them, my great-grandpa, he's going to me to the promised land. Because I never want you to forget this world is not your home. You're just a... Yeah, this isn't home, Sonny. Because we're going to go there. Where is it? I don't know. What's it going to be like? God's going to show us. Does this sound familiar? My grandma used to sing. Some glad morning when this life is over. Oh, you know that? I'll fly away. Now, 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 you know, my grandma sang that a hundred years ago. She also sang soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Soon? Really, grandma? Soon? Soon? And there's a generation that is wondering, is this really going to happen? Because your grandma's grandma's grandma sang that song too, right? So what's our job? The same three-point shot that Joseph had, which is to say, even though I may die and not see it, my God has promised me there's a home prepared where the saints abide. And my Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And Joseph's advice to us is to look where we're going. Simple advice. Keep your eyes on where you are heading. There's the sermon right there in one sentence. Joseph's life was a life in which he wanted them to remember what's important. And your calendar and your checkbook should indicate that the most important thing in the world is heading home. Because that's where we're going. Can I get an oh yeah? To a land we dream of, to a place we look forward to. Yeah, but, 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 but you, you, your grandma died, your dad died, your mom died, they didn't see it. No, but like Joseph, they said, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. You ever seen somebody text their way right into a wall? I saw a lady do it. I'll tell this fast. I saw a lady do it in Chicago airport. She was dressed in this sharp, Never forget, sharp black suit, really high heels, big black rollerboard, and she was texting with her left hand, and she walked right into a pillar, a six-foot-wide pillar, a huge pillar in one of the concourses in the Chicago airport. And when she, The only reason I saw her, because she ran the rollerboard over my foot as she went by me. She was in a hurry, didn't say boo. I mean, just, you know, texting and walking. She was late for her plane, <laughs> And as she's flying along, I looked up and I realized, oh, she's heading dead ahead for that pillar. But I knew what was going to happen. She'd get right here and say, oh, oh my goodness, you know, and be a little embarrassed. And I thought, well, I'll watch. But she didn't look up. She, 
she just rammed her head straight into it. And when it hit the pillar, it made a noise like, bang, and everybody looked and turned, and here is this you know, very executive lady going like this, and I'm thinking, oh, she's going down. <laughs> but she didn't. She managed to stay up, looked at the pillar, and word of honor said, who put that there? And then zipped on around it. <laughs> I realized, that's us. We're just right here. Can I borrow your phone? This is us. What was the last tweet? What was the last Instagram post? What was the last thing? And Joseph says, hey, buddy, look where you're going. Because this is momentary. Can I get it? Oh, yeah. This is the flash in the pan. But we get to be with Jesus in heaven forever. Families here at Woodbury, the ancient story of Joseph reaches out to us. Teens, are you looking where you're going? Can your friends tell by the way you live your lives? You've got a goal, a place. Here's Paul's words. He says, now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Go to that slide, would you? Not built by human hands. There's a home prepared where the saints abide. <laughs> well, the danger is in a sermon like this that people say, are you saying nothing bad's ever going to happen if I just trust in God for heaven? Oh no, Joseph's life certainly had ups and downs. Can I get an oh yeah from you on that? But there is a promise that if this earthly, whoop, go back to that slide prior to me, if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have, say it with me, a building from God. Now, this afternoon, my wife and I are going to get on a plane. <laughs> it makes me think of, makes me think of the road. Do you guys remember the Roadrunner? Did you guys have the Roadrunner here in Minnesota? Did they show that, that, that cartoon here? The, the little bird with the coyote. Remember, what was the coyote's name? Wild E. Coyote, that's right. And what was shocking was that the Roadrunner could, could get himself into the worst spots, but Wile E. would never be able to catch him because a truck would come out of a painted tunnel and mow Wiley Coyote down, or the hill would crumble, but the little cleft of the rock where the roadrunner stood would be safe. As a kid, I thought, that bird is brilliant. He's amazing. <laughs> I was an adult before I figured out, do you know how he does it? Do you know how he gets out every time? He has an agreement with the writer. No matter what happens, the writer just writes him out of the problem with a beautiful ending. We have the same thing as believers. No matter what challenge, no matter what cancer, no matter what difficulties, no matter what disaster, God has promised us there's a home prepared if we will simply keep looking where we're going and trust Him. So when my wife and I get on that plane today, what if? What if it takes off from the Minneapolis airport but then gets up about 4,000 feet and the right engine explodes? And the bolts on the left engine at the same instant come loose and it falls off. And the pilot at that same second has a stroke. And the co-pilot turns and has a heart attack. And the guy in front of me jumps up and says, I'm a terrorist! And he's got bombs all over him. And the lady behind drops her cigarette and lights the plane on fire. I mean, just every bad thing that could possibly happen. And the plane is hurtling towards the ground. 
Satan may be saying, aha, you've got a promise. Well, look at this. Well, let me tell you what. God's promise is sure. Because the last thing he's going to hear from me when that plane hits the ground and explodes is, meep, meep, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> because I have an agreement with the writer of history. If you don't have that solid and secure agreement, I hope that even today you'll grab uh, St. Patrick after church or maybe one of the shepherds, or maybe just say to somebody with you, man, what's he talking about? If you've never given your heart and life to Christ, man, I pray that you'd do that, that you'd believe and confess and repent, obey him in baptism. Or maybe it's some of us that have already done that. How many Christians do we have here, just out of curiosity? Yeah, if you won't own up in here, you're toast out there, let me tell you. <laughs> For all of those of you believers that just raised your hand, all I ask is that today, wherever you go, look where you're going. And let the world see so that we might say, how would you like to come to? Because it's going to be awesome. Will you bow with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this worship service. Thank you for the, the blessing of this church. And Father, I thank you for all the folks who've been watching and taking care of those kids for so long this morning. And so, Father, as we bring this to a conclusion, as we pick up our kids, as we head to lunch, as we launch forward in our day, God, will you help us to not forget and not be consumed by the here and now, but rather looking forward to the then and there and living our lives with our eyes on heaven and eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, and then we won't have to worry about nothing, not plane rides or anything. But if you decide not to send Jesus today, make us more like him tomorrow than we were today, we pray. And in Jesus' name, as we dismiss, we all say, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.